To episode 143 of Some Like It, Scott. I'm your host, Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Scott Shelton. Today on the podcast, we review what is safe to say is the second biggest Zack Snyder streaming release of the year so far, the zombie action flick, Army of the Dead. But first, how are you, Scott? I'm doing well. I had my first Alamo Drafthouse experience this past weekend, uh, a few short hours before I then watched the movie we're about to review. So, whoops. Um, but I, I did make it down to Brooklyn, which is where the Alamo Draft House in New York City is. And I watched The Departed. I recently had rewatched it, which felt a little bit weird to like watch it twice in quick succession when I hadn't watched it in like four or five years. But it uh, turns out it's a it's a good movie, Scott. So I actually didn't mind it all that much. And uh, it was a, it was a fun experience. Uh, yeah, no, I'm certainly not one who's going to dock you any points or, uh, you know, say that I have a hard time uh, watching a movie multiple times in quick succession, given what I did with, with a particular movie, um, you know, from Army December 2019 dead. to December 2020. Um, Not Army of the Dead. Okay. But yeah, no, I'm glad that you got to have your first draft house experience. Um, I am probably going to be going up to the one in Raleigh in a couple weeks for In the Heights. I was looking into that today. Um, and are you going to one been, of their brunch you know, screenings? They have like brunch a couple of years. They do, but I don't think they, I don't know if they had that for In the Heights. But I noticed that in this weekend, they had a scene in the rain for their brunch screening, which I would have loved to see, but they were all sold out, I think. Yeah, the limited capacity makes it even an even hotter ticket. They, so part of the, one of the reasons why they were showing The Departed is they're doing this like Scorsese series right now, which I guess is like why they're showing The Departed. They're showing The Wolf of Wall Street, I think either next week or the week after. And, uh, I haven't seen Wolf of Wall Street, Scott, and I might go venture down to Brooklyn again to see it. I hope you didn't miss Goodfellas already, but um, I, I think you so. May, I think they have going if they're going chronological order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, I know they. Sh- so I don't know if Goodfellas was one of them, to be honest, because I remember seeing Taxi Driver on their screening list. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought that was like relatively recently, so I'm not. I'm not sure, but yeah. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. But uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I now that I live relatively close by, I, I'm going to try to like pick, you know, a couple summer movies um, yeah. for sure to to have that experience. Because like, you know, a couple of years ago when I first went to the draft house, I picked my two movies from the start of the summer that I was going to go to. And it was Midsommar and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And they were both, you know, obviously fantastic choices to watch with that experience. So yeah, um, I'm anticipating that In the Heights is going to be the same. Uh, the early reviews have been very, very good. So um, yeah. yeah, I'm looking forward to, to that experience. And I'm sure you'll be having many more draft house experiences since it's uh, not not as much of a drive or hike for you as it is for me. Yeah, it is. I don't, what, what's your drive link? Is it like an hour, hour and a half? What is it? To... Hour and a half, yeah. Hour and a half, yeah. It's like, it depends on the train schedule and the weekend can be a bit of a mess in New York City. It's probably like an hour trek to actually get down to to there for me as well. Obviously, mileage wise, not as far, but in terms of traversing uh, the Big Apple. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I think I decided that I enjoyed the experience, but it's actually like not something I think I'd want to have like every single week. Um, yeah, but it I feel special get... if you do it every single week. Like it doesn't. Yeah, feel I mean, yeah. yeah, that's a big part of it. I'm mean, I'm also like completely spoiled because I have again. I know I, I don't know if I mentioned this on air or not, but like I live like a half mile from the theater that has the largest screen, like largest indoor theater screen in the country uh, for showing like movies. Obviously there's some like aquarium IMAX screens that are bigger, I'm sure. But um, yeah. So like the Chattanooga IMAX theater. Yeah. Honestly, could probably is a bigger screen. It, it might be. Yeah. It's huge. I, I remember from when I was a kid, like that thing was massive. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think that overall it's like, it needs to, it almost needs to like not be a new release to like justify it. Like it needs to be something like older or like a, a special yeah. screening of something for me to go down there because not only is it cheaper for me to go to the AMC Lincoln Square 13 and see this in like, you know, IMAX, whatever the hell it is, 
uh, diagonal, like some absurd amount. It's like a football field in there. I swear to God, it's so big. Um, but it's like, you know, why, why wouldn't I go see on that screen um, for like the new movies that I'm seeing like, you know, once, twice, three times a week. But then when there's special things like The Departed or Wolf of Wall Street or there's like some special screening of a new movie down, like then that's when I go down there. But I don't know, I'm still feeling it out. I really enjoyed my first experience and I, yeah, I definitely expect to be down there sooner rather than later. Yeah, no, I, I definitely feel that. And I got to remember to start checking uh, more often for sort of what, what those special screenings are going to be every week. Cause yep. I'm definitely a person who likes to do that. I mean, you know, that we have flashback cinema here in Winston-Salem at uh, one of our theaters in Winston uh, every single week. And I've seen, you know, the Godfather, Casablanca, a few yep. others on the big screen that way. So um, yeah, yeah, that's, it's the way to do it in my opinion, but um, all right, Scott, as mentioned, Though I wouldn't allow us to review Zack Snyder's Justice League on principle, uh, I have begrudgingly permitted us to discuss Army of the Dead, so let's get into it. Uh, Snyder's latest is a zombie action flick in the vein of George Romero that languished in development hell for years before Netflix finally acquired it and released it in its bulky 148-minute form. Set in a post-zombie apocalyptic Las Vegas, the film stars Dave Bautista as Scott Ward, a mercenary still reeling from the death of his wife, who he was forced to kill to prevent her turning into a zombie. This decision cost him his relationship with his daughter, Kate, played by Ella Purnell, but the two are reluctantly thrown back together when casino owner Bly Tanaka, played by Hiroyuki Sanada, asks Scott to help him recover $200 million that is stored in the vault of his casino. But of course, there are a couple of catches. First, the area is crawling with zombies, and second, Scott has only so much time before the military deplores and deploys a nuclear strike on Las Vegas. If you've ever seen a heist movie, you know what comes next. We're putting together a team. And that team includes, of course, safecracker Dieter, played by Matthias Schweinhofer, pilot Marianne Peters, played by Tig Notaro, and yes, Scott Ward's daughter, Kate, among others. With the team assembled, Scott and co. must infiltrate the casino, retrieve the money, and escape the horde of zombies before being nuked into oblivion. Uh, it sounds like an impossible mission, but Scott, does Snyder's mission to evoke the golden era of zombie flicks meet as many challenges, or is it a gory journey worth taking? Yeah, you know, I I, I, I received so much, I, I guess I had I'd taken in so much Snyder overload in the lead up to this, because I had, you know, done the Lord's work or the opposite of that, uh, leading into Zack Snyder's Justice League to rewatch Man of Steel and Batman versus Superman, and then to go into that four hour spectacle. Um, you know, I, I had done that. And so I had like mainly just kind of shut this one out of my brain. Honestly, Scott, I didn't even know this was a heist movie before Sunday. Uh, like that's how little I knew about this film because <laughs> I just like completely turned my brain off of it. Um, but look, zombie movies are like not the kind of thing that I normally pay any attention to. So I saw Army of the Dead that he was making this. I'm like, I, I don't care about this movie. Like, I just don't. Like, that's probably honestly why the reason I didn't know it was a heist movie because I just like didn't engage uh, past its you know zombie front. And one of the things when I got actually into this film, Scott, is that you know for all the stuff that we're about to talk about and that is said a lot about Zack Snyder about him being Zack Snyder. Like, I, I don't know. I, I could go into like a five minute explanation of what that means, but I feel like people probably at this point have a sense of what it means. Uh, for something to be a Zack Snyder film. I mean, the guy is a cult of personality. He's somehow ended up on the front lines of like leading the charge of like mainstream movies, but like pushing, you know, his own uh, agenda in that and like having this sort of like, you know, independent director, you know, ownership or authorship over all of his movies. Now, he has, hasn't always been successful with that, obviously, because it's literally what led to Zack Snyder's Justice League. But he's he's sort of been like the SJW for like Hollywood creatives in some weird way and i mean netflix is happy to oblige anyone who wants full full creative control over their movies and so it's not surprising then to say that like this movie is very Zack snyder and some of the things that you know all, all that said like i'm not someone who just like hates jack zack snyder like i think that his creative vision is really interesting and i think that holds true in army of the dead like i think the premise and the setup for this film is like actually pretty interesting I think that it's really interesting to mix this like zombie heist genre. It's really interesting. The spins, not to spoil too much, but the spins that he puts on like the zombies themselves, so having these different 
you know, types of zombies that have these different powers and there's this different lore associated sort of with this world. I think that's all extremely interesting, which is exactly how I feel about a lot of the Snyder DC movies. It's how I felt about Watchmen even before the DCEU. I think those are really interesting. But the problem as all the Zack Snyder movies that I've ever watched is this that like the guy just like does not know how to fully execute the best version of his own vision. And I'm not going to sit here and say anyone knows how to execute the best version of his vision because clearly, you know, no studio has been able to wrap their heads around the best version of his vision yet either. But something about the way that he puts these pieces together, uh, they don't end up at the, I guess, realizing the best, like what I think could be the best version of those things. Like you have all this really interesting lore. You have, you know, black characters to throw in. I mean, they're just like so anonymous in my opinion. Like these, these characters don't, like they're like nothing basically. Um, none, like not too many of them are that interesting. Like maybe you get some life out of them, but the world that he's cre- that he's creating in Army of the Dead, I actually like really think it's cool. And in the hands of another director, maybe you could get something more out of it. But there's just something like incredibly frustrating, um, in an interesting way maybe, about how he ends up creating. In some ways, you know, t- taking these really interesting and vibrant, with an asterisk, I guess, vi- vibrant in a very like. I don't know, ethereal way, right? Because I guess Army of the Dead is quite literally the opposite of vibrant because half of it is dead uh, or two thirds or three quarters or whatever. But yeah, just something about it just doesn't all come together with Snyder. And I think a lot of that is that he doesn't really know how to build relationships very well in his film. I mean, you see that in all of his DC movies. I mean, I want to rip my hair out every time I think about Amy Adams as Lois Lane um, in Snyder's DC movies. And I think that I felt pretty much emotionally flat on all these characters. Like, I don't know, we're like five minutes into talking about this film, but just to spoil it a little bit. So turn it off if you don't hear the spoiler, but like everybody dies at the end of this movie and I don't care. Like this doesn't matter. Like the fact that everyone dies at the end of this movie just doesn't, it doesn't matter at all. Um, but yeah, like I think that it's an interesting vision. The some like one or two of the action scenes, which, you know, there really should be more interesting action scenes in a movie that's two and a half hours long about a zombie heist. But the action scenes that are there are, are I think, pretty entertaining. Um, maybe towards the end, it drags a little bit and kind of sort of like the final scene. But look, he, he has a lot of interesting ideas. But as with any Snyder film, Army of the Dead is no exception. doesn't quite put them all together. Yeah, I mean, like I am even less of a Zack Snyder fan than you are, Scott. I, I think, you know, he's made a couple of the worst movies I've ever seen, maybe. Uh, yeah. With Man I haven't of Steel, seen Sucker Punch. Sucker, Pu- so. Sucker Punch, yeah. Uh, those are. Well, I don't know if you if you were saying release the release the Snyder cut of Sucker Punch was trending over the weekend with Army of the Dead. So. <laughs> uh, but basically, you know, with those two films, you know, I, I've had no interest whatsoever in, um, yeah. you know, in anything Zack Snyder has done over the past, um, you know, several years. I did see the original cut of Justice League. Um, Although, you know, as we now know, apparently he didn't have anything to do with that, but I'm right, very little to do with that. Um, so I don't, you know, I don't know how much we can attribute that to him, but that's not a very good film. Um, uh, it's no secret. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, again, I, I don't really have any desire to watch his films. I, n- there's no chance I would have watched this if not for the podcast. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we do what we have to do, and it's the best Zack Snyder film that I've seen. Um, which is, uh, yeah, d- definitely it does not Damning mean with as much, praise. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it does not mean as much coming from me as it might from some other people, uh, because I I didn't really particularly like the film. I think there are it has some moments, and that's why I say it's the the best Snyder film that I've seen because the other ones don't really have any moments. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, look, this you pair this guy, he's. Uh, you know, known for being an overly indulgent filmmaker with Netflix, right? And we've talked for a while about Netflix and how they just, they don't cut their movies. They don't. Every, almost every one of their movies is way too long. Uh, because, you know, like you said, they're they're about creative control, whatever. Um, so, you know, they don't want to say no to any directors. And that that is kind of Zack Snyder's problem of from the films that I have seen, is that he won't really say no to very much, it seems like. Uh, he, he just, he, uh, he throws the kitchen sink in there. Um, and it doesn't usually, doesn't usually all come together in a satisfying way. And I I think the, you know, major problem that I would chalk up to this movie, um, is that the writing just isn't strong. Um, 
And that's the thing, like, you know, the yes, it, it's one thing to say that the movie is too long, but, uh, you know, to explain why it's too long, I think you have to get into the fact that, like I said, the writing is not good. If we cared about the characters, right, if there were engaging relationships that were going on in between the action scenes, if there was fun, like, high stuff, you know, like Ocean's Eleven-style high stuff going on in between the action scenes, then, sure, maybe the movie would would coast by at 148 minutes. But the fact is, everything outside of the action just is a complete dud. Um, and that leads to the movie not being able to really build any momentum and coming off seeming really long. I mean, I will say, I watched the movie in two sittings. Um, I was uh, in Philadelphia this weekend, and I watched it in my hotel um, in two sittings, which was the right thing to do, I think, ultimately, because it probably would have seen even seemed even longer if I had not done that. Um, but uh, anyway, the movie, yeah, it's too long because Zack Snyder just is not a strong enough writer to give us engaging stuff outside of the action. Like, it's not funny. There are attempts at humor, but it's not funny at all. Um, the relationships, I mean, yeah, you know, anytime he goes into the emotional stuff, which is where he's been dinged on movies before, right? Like, I mean, you know, Batman versus Superman, like there's some scenes that have been memed to to death in the internet be, where, because he's trying to be sincere, but it's just so, you know, poorly conceived. Although I don't know how much he had to do with the writing of, of that movie. I know that was mostly Chris Terrio, I think, but, um, but anyway, I, you know, he, again, he can't say no. And um, I, I think the overly sincere stuff is hard to put like overly self-serious stuff is hard to pull off in the types of movies that he makes. If you don't have good writing, we talked about this when we talked about the Nolan, Batman trilogy. The only like the the main thing holding those movies together for me uh, is that the scripts are so strong. Otherwise, it would be ridiculous that you're setting the superhero story in like a modern, realistic feeling crime epic world. Um, and you know, from what I understand, that seems to be where um, you know Snyder's superhero movies have kind of fallen flat. Is that they just they're so self serious. Um, but this movie shows that, you know, when he maybe he's a little bit self-serious at times in this movie, but it doesn't work either because it's, he's not funny. Right. I, like, I, I don't find the the attempts at humor in this movie funny. Um, and as always, his musical choices are just bizarre and um, ill-conceived uh, right from the very beginning. We have this like 15 minute long opening credit sequence with set to Viva Las Vegas. Like, I didn't know there was a version of Viva Las Vegas that was that long, but um, apparently there is. But, uh, and then, you know. I think, I think if, I, if I had been just like a, a bystander watching, you know, picking something to watch on Netflix this weekend and I saw the opening scene of this film, I would have turned it off. Like, just oh, yeah. horrible, horrible opening scene. And then closes the film with, uh, you know, Cranberry the Cranberry Zombie, which like, you know, I mean, he has to be self-aware to some degree about this stuff, but it's still just so stupid. Like, I, I, you know, I, I, there, I've seen people out there who are trying to give him credit, be like, oh, you know, so many people are just criticizing this. Like, do you honestly think Zack Snyder doesn't realize, like, how, uh, you know, clunky it is or whatever? Like, but but that doesn't make it okay, right? Just because he, he realizes that, like... Um, you know, it's it's kind of silly and dumb to end a zombie movie with the song "Zombie." He can't get away with doing it. I mean, it's it still comes off dumb. But um, yeah, I mean, that's I don't know how, how much more I have to say as far as general impressions. But I mean, there's good action in the movie. I do like a lot of the action stuff. Like it did keep me engaged. Um, I'm not much of a zombie movie fan either, but I, you know, liked the way that the zombies were conceived of and. Um, the close range combat and yeah, the setting for some of the the battles is is kind of cool. So that stuff is fine, um, but everything around it and there's a lot around it because again, it's a two and a half hour movie. Um, no, just no. Um, all right, Scott, let's talk about the big cast in this movie. You you know you've kind of alluded to the fact that nobody really um, you know struck a chord with you, but um, let me ask you first about the, you know, quote unquote lead in this movie, Dave Bautista, um, obviously someone who, you know, has made a name for himself, particularly in the Marvel Cinematic Universe playing Drax. Um, but this is really like the first time we've seen him trying to lead a major movie. Um, yeah. 
and, you know, maybe following the footsteps of somebody like The Rock, right, who also came from a background of mixed martial arts wrestling um, and translated that to acting, which is obviously what Dave Bautista's background is as well. Um, do you think he makes a strong impact here and has the potential, you know, to go on to be somebody like The Rock, who is, you know, one of the biggest, if not the biggest movie stars in the world right now? Uh, Scott, frankly, no, I don't think he does. Uh, I don't yeah. think he makes a strong enough impact. I don't think that from what I've seen in the handful, I mean, I haven't seen all of this stuff, but in the handful of movies that I have seen, Dave Bautista is not a leading man. He's just not like he, he doesn't have the charisma or the persona necessary to be able to translate his, I don't know, his, his wrestling personality or his MMA personality. I honest to God, which was he in WWE? He was in the WWE. Yeah. Or was he an I MMA so. fighter? I don't remember. Anyway, translate his sports oh, same to me. personality. Well, it's very different, but uh, sports personality to being a leading man. Like The Rock. I mean, like the guy just like has the persona for it. Like he has the personality. He has the charisma. Dave Bautista. I like him very much in Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm very excited to see him in an ensemble film with a bunch of other very famous actors and actresses in, in, and uh, uh, Daniel Craig in the Knives Out sequel. He cannot like as of yet, I have not I'm not convinced he can lead a movie. Um, I just don't think he I just don't think he has it. It's not what he's it's not like not what he's good at. I mean, I haven't seen like Stuber or My Spy or whatever the other crappy, terrible comedies that he's been in over the last couple of years where he's been a, a lead or at least a co-lead. Um, but I just don't see it. And it's unfortunate because I, I think that's what that's like one of the that's one of the missing pieces of this movie is that it doesn't have a a person like this seems like just horrible to say because this is obviously like a list of a list. Like it doesn't have like a Brad Pitt or it doesn't have like a Tom Cruise that has this like sort of like magnetism around them because like this film doesn't have anyone famous in it besides Dave Bautista. Like honestly, I don't think anyone is really that famous in this movie. Like maybe the next most famous person is Tignataro. Yeah, I was gonna say Tignataro, but maybe um, gosh, who's the guy who plays like the Tanaka's right hand man? Dillahunt. Oh yeah, Garrett Dillahunt. Yeah, he's Garrett he's Dillahunt. kind of a char character actor. Yeah. yeah, he's like he's probably like the. I mean, he's the per he's like the next person that I recognized in the cast. Um, but like that's not good enough for this film. It's just not, and especially when the writing's not as strong. Like you need somebody to help push this thing along, and it didn't have it. Um, I needed to care about someone for me for the experience to be elevated to the next level. And like I sort of said in my general impressions, there isn't anyone that really gets you that engaged in, in the character on the character side of things. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I'm a lot more indifferent sort of about guardians of the galaxy than a lot of people are, but I mean, I like Drax as a character a lot. I think yeah. he's one of the funnier characters in the, the MCU for me, um, man. But, but you know, even maybe... Drax, right? Like even Drax, you couldn't imagine Drax as the lead in his standalone and a standalone no, movie, no. right? Yeah. No. I mean, that's, that's part of why it's kind of like, he's kind of a funny character is that he just, you know, yeah. plays everything straight to a certain degree but um but yeah i mean i i agree with you this movie definitely needed a stronger lead um you know at, at the same time i think you know there's only so much he can do with what he's given here which is sure. some really yeah. like lame emotional beats i mean this whole thing with him and his daughter like i just find it ridiculous like i don't even understand he, it scott he killed he killed her because she's freaking turning into a zombie like and the daughter was standing right there. You can, she could clearly see what was about to happen. And yet, for some reason, there's this beef between the two of them because yeah, you know, he I did think what there's he had like to some, do. There's like they they have this like conversation when they're like turning on the generator or whatever, and she explains so, like the real reason why he's upset, like she's upset with him, and it's not, or at least not in, it's only in part, if not at all, related to him killing her mother, his his wife. But Scott, I just like honestly, I think I zoned out. I don't even remember. I don't even remember what the real reason was. <laughs> All I know is they wanted to start a food truck, um, which uh, you know, it's, again, it's oh, supposed Scott, to be did like. Did you get the joke at the end? Did you get the joke? Yeah, them bringing I, back the I, joke I, at the well, end. It, it wasn't even a joke. Like it was, it was I just know, a reference to that, right? And and right, this is like what Zack Snyder conceives of as being like a big emotional moment in the movie, right? Is that like they had this conversation in passing earlier on about like. You know, and it's them coming back together and, he and you know, he's saying, oh, maybe when all of this is over, we're going to go start a food truck, you know, and 
what kind of food are we going to have? And then like, you know, there's all this speculation or whatever. And then at the end of the movie, when he's dying or he's about, and he's about to turn into a zombie, she's about to have to kill him. He's like lobster rolls, you know, the food truck. Yes. Like it's, it's almost, it's almost Zack Snyder acknowledging that, um, Hey, this movie has been really long. (laughs) Did you, did you happen to forget about this, you know, thing that happened? uh two hours ago when these two characters talked about this but like it's such, again, it's such a bummer because it's like it's a fine recurring bit like look i'm not sitting here laughing my ass off about it but it's like a fine recurring joke that they have it's such, the du- it's such a dud of like a thing to like hang your like big emotional moment on oh like, a thousand talk. percent yeah like because this is supposed you're, to be like you, you know like where clown. you get you you're tear like up clown. because now she's gonna have to kill him and the dream of the food truck the dream of oh, yeah. lobster rolls is never gonna yeah. be realized right Rather than like the 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 father's like plight coming full circle on the daughter, we have to talk about a fucking food truck. We have to talk <laughs> about a lobster roll. Yeah, goodness gracious. Um, yeah, I mean, look, this guy is that Dave Batista. Maybe that maybe he can lead a movie, but I have trouble believing that that movie is going to be theatrically released. If I'm being honest, uh, there's there's certainly a a market out there for people like him leading action movies. I mean. You go, go, uh, you know, go home through your, your bargain bin or whatever at your local Walmart or whatever. And you'll find any number of, of, you know, WWE stars leading action movies every month. Um, but I think, you know, he needs to stick maybe to the, to the supporting stuff, the character stuff, like, um, we're going to see him in Knives Out too, I imagine. And like, we've already seen him in the MCU um he's a very minor supporting role in dune as well later this year right right he was in uh blade runner he was in the first scene of blade runner 24 yeah great great performance he, in the five yeah, five he minutes he was on fights screen. fights him um but yeah um that's yeah that's what there is to, to say about that now scott as far as the rest of the cast goes i mean you know heist movies known for having their their big ensemble cast again oceans 11 maybe the most famous example um, of having, you know, still one of the most star-studded casts of all time, potentially. Uh, this, like you said, kind of goes in the opposite direction, which it is not a decision that I necessarily hate. But we have a lot of actors here who, you know, maybe you've seen in smaller roles or on TV or something like that, but you've never really seen it in, in a major film. Um, you know, you mentioned Garrett Dillahunt as kind of his right-hand man, the soldier, um, Omari Hardwick. Um, is another member of the team somewhat. And I, I thought his performance was one of the more engaging ones, if you want to use that word. Um, I mean, and I his, mentioned his Ella, relationship with Dieter was like the best relationship. Like, honestly, it was the best relationship. In the, I mentioned in the Ella Purnell. She plays the daughter. Um, you know, again, the sort of crux of this whole emotional thing. We I, I don't remember what her name was, but we also have like a romance i guess between dave batista's character and this this woman who maria, could, maria and, cruz and so we just acknowledge like they they pull the money out of the safe and then they have this whole conversation right before she dies and and she's like i didn't come here for the 200 million i came here for you <laughs> she was like i'll take the money of course i'm like come on man like it's 200 million dollars you're gonna tell me that like no i had no interest whatsoever in getting my cut of this money I came here because I wanted to, you know, hop on Dave Bautista. No, like that, that is ridiculous. Um, and then, yeah, this, you know, moments later she dies. Yeah, he sets that up brilliantly. Um, Not only does she die, she gets her head twisted. It's yeah, it's, it's pretty gruesome, but yeah, you know, that that's, there's another thing that, that didn't work. Yeah. I mean, like as far as the, you know, the sort of buddy relationship between right. Omari Hardwick and, um, Dieter, the the safe cracker. You know, it's just we've seen this thing, we've seen this dynamic so many times of like the bromance. Oh, here's like the quirky, like uh, you know, very technical, like I don't know, like Benji from Mission Impossible, or like uh, it's it's the Scott Con and Casey Affleck relationship from from the Ocean movie. It's just not done particularly well again because the humor just doesn't land for me. Um, but yeah, Scott, who stood out uh, for you in this supporting cast, if any? Yeah, look, if I if I had to point to someone, it probably would be Omari Hardwick, maybe maybe a Garrett Dillahunt. 
but Scott, there's just like there's like nothing really going on with the Sapphire cast either. To be really honest, I mean, look, there's maybe a little bit from some of these characters that you mentioned, Matthias Schwagerfer, but there's nothing there's nothing interesting going on. It's just like, all right, archetypal characters here from a high and, and look, like I'm not gonna sit here and say it's like easy to reinvent the wheel when you're creating movies in a genre that has existed and probably the best of the genre has already been created that we'll ever see. I mean, I mean, Ocean's Eleven, frankly, it's like probably just the best the genre is ever going to be um, in terms of like heist comedy type type movies. I mean, I know this isn't a comedy, but I mean, some of it's laughable um, overall, though. Yeah, like I, I like what Omari Hardwick's doing. He's probably like the most relatable character, to be honest, because um, he seems like to be one of the few that doesn't have his head up his ass or just like saying ridiculous things left and right. Um, yeah, I, I wish I could say that someone else really stood out from the cast. I, I, I did like, I will say, I did like the person who is the coyote, the French, the French woman whose name I, yes, I she was who I was going to say, Nora Arnaz. Nora, um, yeah, I, I think that she was, she honestly, she is the character that felt like most like she belonged in the world she was in, if that makes sense. Like, yes. one thing that John Wick does so well is like everyone in that world feels like they belong there. And I think that like the Lily character, I think that was her name, that character yeah. like clearly belongs in this universe. And like the the mystique and sort of like the I don't know, like the the vibe that you get from her just feels like so in line with what like the world is. Whereas like and everyone else feels like it's like this weird meshing between the two. And that's perfect for who our character is supposed to be, right? Because yeah. she's the one who like has been over the wall, the quote unquote wall, you know, whatever. So many times she's been into the, you know, yeah. uh, war zone and, and you know, co- come come back and forth many times. And so she sort of is the, the confident one. She looks like a she looks like Mackenzie Davis, I have to say, first of all. Um, and I think had some of the same sort of swagger that. Um, I didn't see Terminator Dark Fate, but it seemed like maybe that's I was going to say, if you, if you, if you watch Terminator Dark Fate, I think you'll today. say Mackenzie Davis has a little bit more umph behind yeah, that role. Maybe. But yeah. Uh, yeah. But no, I, I thought she was good, uh, to be honest with you. And um, yeah, I don't know. She, she, she grabs my attention in the way that many of the other characters did not. And I also thought her death scene was kind of an interesting one where she is like, she has like this head of this other zombie. And again, this is where I say I kind of like that the zombies were like kind of intelligent or at least, you know, cognizant of certain things because, you know, she's like she's like basically doing it as a hostage situation, like where she has the head of another zombie that the zombie who's there hunting her um, cares about. Right. And she's like, well, if you attack me or whatever, then I'm going to kill her. But then he ends up killing her and impaling her and then he she drops the head basically on the off the building as she dies or whatever uh, yeah and all of this is happening right while the helicopter is like trying to to get away um and you know she obviously is kind of stays behind to you know fight fight off the zombie but i so i i thought she had a good arc i guess in the movie of like again the, the person who um you know, has has been there, been in and out so many times of like this war zone. So eventually, her luck was going to run out, um, and you know, she that 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 is what we see happening here. But she's able to sort of go out on a heroic note by helping everyone else escape. That said, I don't fully understand why she doesn't just get on the helicopter with the with the head. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's the classic um, Titanic problem of like, why you know that why don't you just get on the raft at the end? There's plenty of room, but. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, uh, I, I, I guess I, I see where you're coming from there. And I, frankly, I'm having trouble remembering whether there was any other sort of motivation as to why she um, also stayed behind. They're about but, to nuke the freaking place. Just give him the head. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't. I think it seemed like they timed everything really poorly because I mean, we're talking about a nuke here, right? We're not talking about like a thermal detonator. We're talking about something where you need to be far far away when it goes off um well yeah they were they they had a day originally and then it got moved up yeah they had like 32 right, hours right, right. to complete the to complete the mission originally, right and right, then right, they right. only had eight but yeah yeah i mean I, I, that's another thing you don't really ever get i feel like you don't get any sense of that like ticking clock tension or anything throughout the movie like i i, I don't know I, I never really felt like yeah like like that just seemed like an invisible threat to me 
for most of the movie until like it it pops up again at the end like for for me it's mostly about like the zombies and getting in and out and then you know once they're out it's like oh yeah right this is also a thing that's gonna be happening also i just love the concept of like the president just being like well yolo let's just nuke him early <laughs> yeah um okay let's talk about you know maybe something that Zack snyder does well shooting action um there's some action in this movie i saw you know i saw i did see some people saying they they thought there was going to be more um and man, that maybe they wish there would have been more I, maybe i fall in that camp i mean I, I tend to get bored during some action movies uh you know when when the action gets kind of there's too much of it or it's repetitive or anything like that and i will say like i didn't get bored during a lot of the action here. Like, I do think that's where the, the movie came alive. Um, and I will, you know, highlight, I liked the scene and the casino after they, because this was what I was thinking. Like they go into the casino, right. And like, it's all like the power's off. It's all dark, whatever. And, you know, they have to, There, there's a whole scene, which is kind of cool. Like almost like horror scene where they have to like walk through the zombies while they're like sleeping. Um, like at rest, you know, kind of not alert them or whatever. But, you know, so it turns into a, you know, it eventually turns into a fight. But the whole time I'm thinking, like, this seems like a missed opportunity, right? If we're not going to, like, light this baby up, we're not going to, like, do this proper Vegas style, we're not going to have, like, an all-out free-for-all, like, in the Vegas uh, lights. You haven't seen enough Snyder movies. You knew it. You had to know it was yeah, coming later. No, and then he he did deliver on that. Uh, you know, we, we they turned the power yeah. on, and then there ends up being this um, – it got big free for all inside like the main casino hall with all the lights going and everything. And that was cool. I, I liked watching that. And I like like the close range combat. Like again, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. It's the John Wick style of combat, but I, I think applying it to zombie setting is kind of interesting because yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're not used to seeing people and zombies fight in close quarters. I feel like because that's the whole thing. Like you're trying to prevent them from getting quarters. Right. Um, so to see like, number one, the zombies being able to move like at a normal speed or whatever. And two, like Dave Bautista and everyone like running around, like running up to zombies and shooting them in the face and stuff like this. Um, I thought that was something a little bit. different. Yeah, no, I thought the action was really good in this. I, I am in wholehearted agreement of that. Definitely got the John Wick vibes and, I'm not going to sit here and say that Zack Snyder is Chad Stahelski, but I think that the the choreography of, of a lot of the action scenes is quite good. I think that it was really smart to have sort of the opening action sequence. Well, first off, I, I pretty much hate everything before it fast forwards to the present day. Like that that whole first 15, 20 minutes. Ugh, 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 yeah, where they basically they but, decide they're going to show you how the zombie apocalypse happened. And it's like because these dudes in the tank or whatever are talking about blowjob um yeah and, and then the other guy actually getting a blowjob yeah and then there's a huge wreck that happens yeah look that whole thing but then also like sort of like the the frenetic sequence after that that shows the actual apocalypse happening yeah not good but everything after that like we're talking about like like when it's more in the heat of the battle when they've infiltrated sort of the you know the zombie takeover taking over vegas I think that the action there is really, I think it's really smart to build up towards that casino fight that you're talking about, you know, to not just sort of blow your entire load on the first action scene and making this sort of really smart, tense sequence where, you know, most of the most of them get through fine. But the sort of tension between is it Martin is Garrett Dillahunt's character's name and then whoever Mikey Guzman's like, you know, a friend is that that's along for the ride. The tension between them and I mean that was crazy. I can't believe that they. I mean even with the tension, I can't believe they did that. Um, oh yeah, we haven't talked was... about the guy who's like the creepo. Is like oh yeah, it, who uh, like is like preying on women, um, and uh, they basically yeah. just like sacrifice him to the zombies. Um, which yeah. I was like, I feel like this this whole plot point would have just been better off avoided and left out of the movie completely. Like. If you're looking for stuff to cut, and there were certainly things to cut in this movie, that character and everything he does is probably the first first place to go. Well, yeah, I guess they had to figure out some way to like introduce you to the queen and the alpha zombies early on. Yeah, because the there's this whole like arena, and he gets like thrown into like the bottom of the arena, and then they the swimming pool. It's an empty swimming pool. Yeah, right? swimming pool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an empty swimming pool. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, it, it wasn't. Yeah, I mean, look, it's a very uncomfortable, maybe not so well done, half baked character that was problematic and is persecuted for his problematicness. Fair enough, I guess. But yeah, look, I think that the, the action sequence early on, the sort of the tense horror buildup of it you were talking about in when the when the power was off, but then building up to you know, sort of the the close quarters combat in the vaults, and then on the main casino floor, maybe there's like a little bit too much slow mo in that casino floor action sequence for my taste. But well, I, I was going like to say I actually thought that there was like a responsible use of slow mo. Like I, I there was, was expecting, that scene. yeah. I was expecting there to be a ton, just knowing Zack Snyder and how he's overindulgent. I don't know. I guess I maybe I would feel differently if I rewatched it, but um, in the moment, I guess I was I was just wanting something to you know pick up my interest again, and um, yeah. it did that. So maybe I excuse some of the you know again over. Yeah, no, but but I think overall it's like staged well, right? Like even the stuff after the casino scene, like you're talking about, sort of the sequence on the roof with you know between Lily and. Was it? I think the zombie's name is Zeus. Um, sort of like the head zombie. Um, Who cares? I think that was interesting. And then I think the they could have skipped. They could have just like somehow cut out the whole Jita character. Like I know that they had to get her Ella Purnell's character into into Vegas somehow. But uh, man, that was just another whole plotline they could have cut. That was just so. Oh yeah, right. There's that whole subplot that's going on too. Yeah, because yeah. they had to go. They had to go fly over to the other hotel and get her back. You know, you can just cut all that out. You just cut it all out. It's fine. Yeah. There's, just, it was just like one sequence too long. Um, and and watching Dave Bautista, you know, have a heart attack running downstairs, not good. To, not good entertainment. Not good. Entertainment. Yeah. Uh, let Scott. Let's skip ahead a little bit to the ending of the movie. Um, oh God, there's then, more movie you know, left to the to the ending of our review after that. But um, yeah, so the way that the movie ends is like that. Omari Hardwick's character, right? And I can't think of his name, but he his name's um, Van. I mean, he's like it's Van der Rohe or something like that. But it's like yeah, Van. he like you think he's made it out safely or whatever, and he gets on this plane, and then he discovers oh he's been bitten, and like the movie just ends there um, with him Cliffhanger. making that making that discovery. Like yeah, I mean, like I guess now is the time to mention right that there is a pre- <laughs> a prequel for this movie that um you know is is already in development i think and it's coming out um, this year if it doesn't get delayed it's gonna it's gonna get i mean it's gonna get made again this is the whole thing we talked about with without remorse um like people watched this movie i mean i don't know how many of them enjoyed it but people watched it and that's good enough for netflix um so we we will see this prequel um it it has to be a prequel kind of like we said because I mean, you know, I guess Kate, right? She survives at the end, but um, maybe. Yeah, I get. It's certainly implied that. Look, here's the thing with the ending. Before we talk about and nobody the else in this franchise. Survive. Yeah, it doesn't seem like anyone else survives. I assume all the zombie. Well, yeah, all 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 the zombies die. Well, at least all like the major alphas die. I mean, they like, get news, so yeah. The queen is dead. I mean, but like I'm just saying, like the other alpha zombie, Zeus, or whatever, was in the helicopter. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, completely got his head blown off. Um. But here's the thing. I know that Van was in the the vault when the bomb went off. But when that guy walks out of that vault, that place is irradiated as shit from that nuclear bomb. Like yeah, that guy is dead I mean, in a couple minutes when he leaves. That's what that's what I'm saying. Like for a nuclear bomb, you have to be so far away. Like because it's not just the explosion, right? It's the the fallout and everything. Like, Look, I know Harrison Ford can like get in the fridge and like survive a nuclear bomb or whatever in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, but like, I d- I'm not familiar with what that movie is. I don't think that's a real movie, but anyway. yeah, maybe not. I, it could have been a fever dream. Um, uh, but but I'm telling you, when Van walks out of that vault, he's dead in a couple minutes from the radiation. Like he's not making it. He's not making it to wherever he chartered that plane <laughs> from at the end of the movie. And I don't know how far they managed to get away from the nuclear bomb on the helicopter with you know, the, at the end of the movie, the Kate's character, but like, she's probably dead too in, in real life. But this isn't real life. This is, this is the Snyderverse. This is the Snyderverse. Exactly. Um, I think that's, that's about all there is uh, to, to be said, Scott. Uh, let's uh, talk about our favorite scene or moment, or maybe just reiterate our favorite scene or moment. Um, if we, if you've already mentioned it from army of the dead, what's yours? 
Uh, favorite scene or moment? Look, I, I think it has to be stuff related to sort of the, the world building element. I think there's something really captivating early on when you're first learning about the alpha zombies, right? Because, you know, you'd be forgiven for thinking that when, you know, they're like 30, 45 minutes in this movie, that this is a standard zombie flick in terms of like rules of engagement with the zombies because you haven't been led to believe otherwise yet. But then I think when you get that first scene with the queen um, coming out to take, I think it's Theo Rossi's character. I think his name's Bert. Um, I'm not, I don't really remember. Um, but yeah, to like collect that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Bert Reynolds. No, I'm kidding. Um, I, I think that that moment is probably one of the highlights of the film, not for the particular scene or moment that it creates, but I think that is a moment where you're sort of getting, you're getting to understand that there's way more to this world than maybe you originally thought. Some of that is spurred on by, again, this sort of performance from Lily and Nora Arna Zader's character, as well as Garrett Dillahunt, who are clearly two people who know more about what's going on than the others. And I, and I like the vibe that, I mean, that was the closest it ever came to like reaching the, reaching its potential. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's any other thing I can add other than that casino scene, like I said, um, you know, to mix things up, but I think that was really, what about tofu? What about, what What if we made tofu the food truck? Let's put a score on it, Scott. Or what do you give this out of 10? Uh, 5.1. I, I, I didn't really think about this beforehand, but... Uh, there's, there's a couple movies like every year where you're like, you're surprised by the yeah. question that you asked. I feel like I've talked myself down a little bit here. I'm going to go with a 4.6. I, I, I didn't enjoy it. Um, you know, I rated it, I think, two and a half stars because maybe I was grading on a little bit of an adjusted scale for, uh, for Snyder, but... Um, it's not a good movie. It does not make me want to see any more Zack Snyder movies. Um, there are much better things you can do with your time than. I mean, the guy's like probably never going to work with like an editor or a real producer ever again, which is a shame because I really do believe that Zack Snyder has like the kernels of like some really interesting stuff. If you could ever find some sort of like producing partner or I don't know, insert like writer or something where he just like has less creative control, which like sounds super shitty, probably honestly. But like, I think his, his movies would be better. Right? And I think that he's not the only director in Hollywood where that's the case. Um, I mean, look, this, not only is this like the most Zack Snyder of Zack Snyder movies because it's at Netflix, not, but like, not only did he write and direct this, he also DP'd it. Like he also did the cinematography. <laughs> like, next thing you know, he's going to be editing. And there's all these, movie. there's all these like, uh, you know, clip or pictures on Twitter. If you've seen them of like him, like, up in the middle of the action with like the camera, you know, trying to get like the perfect shot and everything. And it's just like, please yeah. stop trying to make me like respect this dude. He can't make good movies. Just get yeah, an, just get a, just get somebody to write your movie next time. Zach. And I don't mean Chris Terry. I mean, somebody who can write. I mean, Chris. Nolan. Um, <laughs> sure. Uh, John, I take Jonathan Nolan. I mean, to be honest, just that, that guy's not writing movies for Snyder. I mean, he's doing his own. He's doing his own TV shows. And he's got Westworld. Yeah. He's got all these other stuff at HBO Max. I'm just saying, I I would I would take a lot of people over who he's collaborated with in the past. But anyway, yeah, look, and I pat, pat on the back. We didn't talk about Crystalia. Who? Uh, I I do want to say though, since you since you brought it up, uh, Tig Notaro. I'm I am definitely a fan of her stand up comedy. If you've never seen her, Taylor Very Dane. If you've never seen her bit about Taylor Dane before, it is one of my favorite um, stand-up comedy, like, long-form bits. Um, go check that out. Here, she's green-screened in, basically, because they cut Crystalia out of the movie after the allegations. So she's basically doing jokes that Crystalia was supposed to do. And Also, to be clear, this one, film was shot in 2019. So, yeah. And the Lea stuff happened, like, what, like October, November of last year? Number one, they're not funny jokes to begin with. Number two, they were meant to be delivered by Crystalia and not her. So it doesn't do her any justice. I, I, this role doesn't really. I mean, I, I would like to see her, you know, pop up again, maybe in a comedic role in the future. Um, but all, all I'm saying is if you're not familiar with Tignataro's comedy, don't judge her as a comedian based on this performance because... Uh, this was just, I think, her calling in, uh, Zack Snyder calling in a favor or something, maybe with her. Um, I'm very because, curious what favor yeah. she owed. I, I, I am too, but uh, that's kind of kind of how it feels. But anyway, Scott, 
that should do it for our discussion of Army of the Dead. Uh, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we have a couple of news items to discuss, uh, including a new trailer for Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho. Uh, so stay tuned. We'll be talking about that right after the back on this episode of some like it scott before we go we have a couple of news items to talk about uh scott you wanted to discuss yorgos lanthimos's uh new project that has been announced um and i'll let you uh talk a little bit more about that and who has been cast in that yeah i I think i don't don't think we talked about on the podcast but i think that had already previously been announced that emma stone of course one of the one of the main cast members from yorgos lanthimos's last feature film the favorite uh, will be returning to to be a lead role or or a significant role, I should say, at the very least, uh, in his next film, uh, which has been, you know, in in pre production, I think for a while, probably slowed down a little bit by the pandemic, and also Emma Stone having a child probably slows things down as well. But yeah, so we did recently get some more news just in the past couple of days that Mark Ruffalo, uh, I guess most recently famous for uh, his HBO, I guess he won. Did he win the Emmy? Did he win the Emmy for that? I believe he did, that right? Did? For or at least the Golden I know Globe. This much is true. Yeah, for I know so. for his dual role, and I know this much is true. He plays two brothers in that television show, which I still have not mustered up the courage to watch. Right, but Emmys are in the fall. Yeah, I don't think that's actually. Happened. I just can't remember. It came out last summer, but I can't remember when when if it qualified or not. If it's if it's up mm-hmm. in the cycle. Um, either way, the an award winning performance for that. So that's his most recent stuff. Uh, but he's going to be returning to the big screen. With uh, with a significant role in Yorgos Lanthimos's film, the plot description is mostly under wraps, but it, or I shouldn't say it's not under wraps, but it is based on a novel. I don't know very much about that novel, but it is a Yorgos Lanthimos movie. It's important to remember that. So, if you even are familiar with this novel, if it's not a weird novel, there's going to be some weird changes made to it <laughs> to adapt it to the screen. Uh, sorry, I didn't do my homework too too well here. I guess to get the name of the book, but the sort of the one liner plot summary for this is that a woman is brought back to life with the mind of a child or the mind of a baby. Um, and I assume that is Emma Stone's character. I assume Mark Ruffalo has some relation to that, whether it's a husband or father or some familial relationship in some way to that person as well. But look, I don't need to read a plot description to know that the movie's going to be freaking weird. I'm not the hugest fan of the favorite back in 2018. I thought that movie was a little bit overrated personally. Uh, I think that some of his other work, Killing of a Sacred Deer, The Lobster, much better work from Yorgos Lanthimos. And so I'm hoping that he's steering away from awards baity stuff. Cause I think it undoubtedly as, as weird as it still was, the favorite was the most accessible and the most awards buzzy of his films very intentionally. Um, and I, I like it more almost when he's even weirder. Cause this just felt like a weird sort of dilution of what his creative spirit is normally like. And so I'm hoping that he goes even more back towards the lobster and killing of a sacred deer and weird stuff like that that maybe doesn't work 100 percent of the time but creates something really interesting and worthwhile to talk about whereas the favorite i mean i pretty much forgot about that movie to be honest i didn't think that that wow. movie had much how much really yeah that i really like that movie i don't know it's i just think of it, I, that, yeah. the other lanthimos movies are like way more interesting i think thematically they explore much more interesting topics than lobster falls off a cliff in the second half for me but um i haven't seen yeah Killing when they when they leave the hotel that yeah i mean when they leave yeah. the hotel but, but that movie is interesting though like i don't know like, the favorite's not super interesting to me like okay in yeah i mean half. you know agree to disagree i i really like that movie but um but, like the themes of that movie is just like women are mean to each other like i don't know it's like not super interesting we we had a whole podcast discussing it but um is, it was that was that our lost podcast i can't remember what what movies were on the lost podcast i can't, that I can't remember it. either it could have been it could have been honestly. i think green, i think it might have been green book and halloween i think it might have been the episode before the favorite but um yeah maybe that, i'm writing some revisionist history for the favorite right now i don't know maybe maybe i need to go back knows. and listen to my the scott listen to the something like a scott wick something like like a scott wiki editor will tell us but um <laughs> yeah, perfect. no scott i mean look I have mixed feelings about this movie. Obviously, Mark Ruffalo is one of my two or three favorite actors. Um, and I love seeing him do stuff. I mean, look, he's a great Hulk. Sure, we know he's going to be, or, or, you know, pretty sure he's going to be in Guardians 3. But um, Or at least Thor Love I like, 
I like seeing him do the, you know, non-MCU stuff. I'm glad that, you know, he's he's still finding time to do these other projects as well um, because I think he's so talented. Um, and yeah, Absolutely. movies like Dark Waters and Spotlight and stuff like that that he found, you know, time to do in between the MCU. You know, some of my favorite movies. So um, I, I, I look forward to anything that he does, particularly outside of, you know, the MCU, like I said. But the setup for this does not not sound like my kind of thing. I'll be honest. Like, no, one it, of, it, it is one of my least favorite things in movies when an adult person Adults acts act like child. babies. Yeah. That is that is why I hate so much of Adam Sandler's comedies um, because that is like his whole shtick. Um, and look, I mean, look, I think Yorgos Lanthimos can put an interesting spin on that. I mean, look, he's a better director than. Dennis Dugan or whoever is doing, you know, most of the Sandler movies, but um, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if this is going to be for me. Uh, well, obviously that's an exception, uh, yeah, no, although, even though I haven't seen that one. Um, I mean, I, I don't know if this movie is going to be for me, but I, I will certainly see it when it comes out because there's enough interesting talent attached to it to make me want to see it. Yeah. I mean, look, Scott, go watch Killing of a Sacred Deer. Yeah, no, I probably should. Um, weird movie. Like it probably, probably the weirdest of them all. Probably weirder than Lobster. Well, I think Dogtooth, his first movie, yeah, is yeah, the one that's, that's supposed to be like really, really out there. But um, yeah, Scott, also out there and maybe a, a shift out of somebody's comfort zone um, is Last Night maybe. in Soho, the new movie that is coming from Edgar Wright. We've been talking about this one for a long time, Scott, ever since most anticipated of last year of 2020. Um, but we are finally going to be getting this movie. It's coming out this fall. Um, and the first trailer dropped just today as of the time of this recording. Um, and this is going to be a psychological horror film, um, from, from what it looks like in the trailer, um, with some sci-fi like time travel elements to it. Um, which, uh, is obviously, like I said, a, a step in a different direction for, for Edgar Wright. I mean, the world's end has a little bit of sci-fi in it at the very end of the movie. Um, you know, horror is, he kind of dabbled with in Shaun of the dead, but you know, that's comedy obviously. Um, and so to see him, you know, go down this road is I think intriguing. Um, because I do think he's a good director who has done different stuff with his movies. Again, like the Cornetto trilogy, I don't, I'm not as obsessed with it as some people are. I mean, there are, people out there who like these are the only movies that they watch but um i i do think like all those movies are di- are very different right like you know you have a horror comedy right you have a zombie zomcom with Shaun of the dead you have a spoof of police movies with hot fuzz and then you have this you know again this weird sci-fi thing with uh the world's end which might actually be my favorite of the three i like that movie a lot but um you know and then obviously he showed his chops for for action with uh with baby driver and for like video game style weird coming of age type movie with scott pilgrim versus the world which is now like a, a bona fide cult classic um and now he's going down the psychological horror route like i said uh this movie stars thomas and mckenzie as um a girl who it seems like is traveling back in time to the 60s um and is sort of changing places it's unclear from the trailer which i like but there seems to be some sort of surreal elements um where she is kind of like coming together with this pop star who is played by anya taylor joy and like their personalities are like merging together in a way and like this she's like disassociating kind of um there's this cool thing in the trailer where like she's looking in the mirror and she sees anya taylor joy you know in the mirror and they're doing the same thing as if you know it reminds me of Mulholland Drive basically um Scott the real question I have for you is that what would you do if you looked in the mirror one day and saw Annie Taylor-Joy I'd probably pass out and die um but uh I'm not gonna say any more about Mulholland Drive because Scott is will be watching it I believe this year so on the list uh, cool um and yeah I definitely don't want to spoil anything but um yeah this is uh this movie looks Super cool. Like I said, I, I'm a fan of Edgar Wright. I don't come back to his movies as much as a lot of people do, but this one has the potential, I think, to be the most up my alley. It looks super dark. It looks surreal. It's got this interesting, you know, pop culture setting. 
Um, and obviously it has, you know, Anya Taylor-Joy, Thomas and McKenzie, massive fans of both of them. Matt Smith is also in the movie. It looks like he might have a sort of a villain role. Um, but yeah, this, this looks super he's stylish. The love interest. Uh, Isn't he the love interest? Is he? Maybe. I, I don't know. Um, the trailer was vague, which I like. But um, Edgar Wright is the type of guy who it seems like he puts so much detail and um, precision. And like he, he spends a long time perfecting his movies, it seems like. Um, so I, I think that this is going to be um, a successful, um, you know, again, sojourn into a different genre for him. Like, I, I just don't think he's the type of guy who would half ass something like this is what I'm saying. Um, just because maybe horror is having a little bit of a resurgence in the last few years. Um, yeah. So, yeah, Scott, you excited for this one? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm as excited as you because, I mean, you've been singing this film's praises or saying how anticipate how anticipated this movie is for you for two years now. And uh, I'm not going to sit here and say that I have the same hype level, but I'm pretty excited about this movie. Thomasine McKenzie, Annie Taylor-Joy, I've been pretty vocal about how much I am a fan of these two in pretty much every chance that I've gotten on the podcast. Um, big fan of Matt Smith recently because I watched The Crown. He's fantastic in The Crown as as Philip. Um, haven't seen Doctor Who and his, what made him famous. I mean, that role made him famous. Um, one of the, I mean, you know, considered one of the best Doctor Whos. I think definitely considered the best modern version of the character. What I know. Yeah, I, I don't keep on the keep up with the Whoverse and the lore around that uh, to know who's who. Uh, in that, sorry, I couldn't help myself. Um, in, in in that, in terms of the modern actors and whatnot, um, but yeah, look, I, I'm a big fan of his coming out of the crown, so I'm excited to see what he can bring to this because obviously, I think this is going to be a well. Actually, I say that it might not be that different than his role in the crown in terms of you know his crown character is someone who's pretty you know egotistical, narcissistic type, and you know you can have those. Don't speak ill of the dead. Don't speak ill of the recently dead, Scott. Uh, that's true. That's true. Um, it was a really weird realization when I realized that Tobias Menzies, who plays Philip in seasons three and four, was also like Brutus in like that show Rome on like stars or whatever. Dude, I think it was it, HBO. I think Rome was, was HBO. HBO? Yeah. yeah. I think so. it was, that was a really weird connection, connection to the dots, moment, connection of the dots moment right there. Uh, but yeah, Scott, I'm personally offended that you didn't uh, recognize that the, the Weasley twins are in this movie. Fred and George Weasley, James and Oliver Phelps have roles in this movie so uh right over my head you can see yourself out there now i will say i have been doing i have been thinking about doing a harry potter rewatch um well at some point do i have news for you about where the first three movies of the harry potter series are right now they're on peacock uh i was gonna say (laughs) are they on pluto tv maybe with ads and i can watch them um but I've only seen all of them, I think, one time each. So uh, I think it's probably, I think I should probably consider doing a rewatch. But anyway, I did not yeah, notice not? that because I have only seen them. But um, yeah, this this yeah. movie should be dope. I'm excited. Um, yeah, look, it's awesome. We've talked many times already about how, especially Thomas C. McKenzie this year, is really set to to break out even more just with all of her roles. She's an old the other movie that was in your most, or at least an honorable mention, I think on your most anticipated list that I can't remember now. And uh, not only uh, old, but the power of the dog, both That's of which the one. were in. That's my... the one. No, she's in both of them. She's in the, uh, both. No, of them I know. I was talking my... about power of the dog. That's the one I was trying. I, I said, Oh, okay. I knew old. Yeah. Yeah. But old power of the dog. And there's one other movie that she's in as well that um, I can't remember what it is, but anyway, this is going to be a good year for her. Um, I think, yeah, because I think there's another one in addition to Last Night in Soho, but maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe it's just those three. There's um, The but, Justice of Bunny King. That's the only other movie that I know. That she's okay, in. I don't know what that is. But um, but yeah, anyway, going to be a big year for her. Annie Taylor-Joy, I mean, I think her stock is just going to continue to rise. I mean, Queen's Gambit obviously was her breakthrough. She just hosted SNL. I think people are starting to know who she is. Um, and I imagine that this uh, movie will only help with that. So uh, looking yeah. forward to it. All right, Scott, that should just about do it for this episode of Some Like It. Scott, where can our listeners find you on Twitter and Letterboxd? At S. Shelton2013. You can find me talking about uh, my Wolf of Wall Street experience on Memorial Day. Uh, and I am at Scarvy Dent on both. You can find me probably just maybe watching Michael Mann movies only from now on out because after watching the Heat recently, rewatching Heat recently, and watching a little bit of the insider tonight. I'm, I'm not um, 
convinced that anyone needs to watch any other movies besides Michael because they are hashtag quite good. That should do it for this episode of Sun Like It, Scott. We hope you've enjoyed listening. If you have and you'd like to support us, don't forget about our Patreon page at patreon.com slash mediaplugpods. Uh, if you can't support us over there, though, don't forget to rate, review, like, subscribe, do all the things that you do on your preferred podcast app. And, of course, we hope you'll be back for our next episode on which, which we will be reviewing uh, the sequel to 2018's John Krasinski-directed horror flick, a Quiet Place, A Quiet Place Part 2. Uh, But until then, for Scott Shelton, I'm Scott Harvey. See you down the road.